And now it's time for us to study God's life-changing Word together. But today, we'll not be continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And let me explain why. As you know, if you've been here at ACAC for any length of time, I like to set aside four or five weeks during July and August to remove myself from many of my usual day-to-day duties and just have time to read the Word, pray, and listen. And listen to what God is saying about ACAC's future. Well, that season started this week. And during this season of seeking the Lord and removing myself from other duties, rather than trying to prepare new instruction, which takes several days every week, I reach into the files and do messages from the past because God's truth is timeless. And generally, I reach back at least four or five years, knowing that that means many will be hearing that truth for the very first time. Now, the series I'm going to begin today for the next four or five weeks during my study sabbatical, if you will, is one that I've preached here twice. And I'm returning to it because it's so vital, it's so essential, and we need regular checkups in this area. So today, we're going to begin a study of the sacrifice of praise. Some of you may have notes from previous series in your Bible, but it's always good to bring those notes out of print and into practice. To launch us into this study, because obviously the topic of praise is found from Genesis to Revelation, I've chosen Psalm 149 and verse 1. Praise the Lord, and notice the exclamation point. Sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Again, the title for the series and for this opening message, The Sacrifice of Praise. Let's pray together. Father God, in these coming moments, I pray that your spirit would unfold your great truth to our hungry hearts. Father, we're aware that if we don't know the truth, We'll never be able to experience the fullness of spiritual liberty Jesus offers us. So today, by your Holy Spirit, enable me to preach and teach your truth accurately and enable all of us to receive it at this moment in our life, hearing that one particular truth you want to stress to us. And as always, we pray these things for the honor of Jesus and for the welfare of his people. And we pray them in his name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's word together, may the Lord be with you. The year was 1636. And it was the midst of a prolonged conflict in Europe that came to be known as the Thirty Year War. In the midst of that conflict, a young German pastor buried over five thousand parishioners and townspeople. That's an average of 15 funerals a day because of war and the ensuing famine and disease. In the midst of those incredibly dark days, that pastor wrote a little song, a table grace, 
for himself, his wife, and his children. And that table grace would eventually become a well-known hymn that is often sung around the Thanksgiving observance in our country. It begins like this, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices. Mired in heartache and trouble, almost impossible for you and me to comprehend. That young pastor, Martin Rinkert was his name, and his family drew strength and hope from praise. Now their words didn't magically eliminate all of the tragedy that was unfolding around them. But it did prevent an even greater spiritual tragedy from unfolding within them. The word praise, like many words we encounter in Scripture, can either be so loosely defined that it loses virtually all meaning, or its meaning can be misrepresented and distorted. For example, praise is more than positive emotions. Now, praise will foster positive emotions, but feeling positive emotionally and praise are not one and the same. They're two different things. Praise is not the mindless repetition of words. Perhaps you have run into some well-intended but misinformed Christian brothers and sisters who like to use praise the Lord or hallelujah where most of us use a comma or pause to take a breath. Everything they say, no matter what they're talking about, is sprinkled with praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Sometimes even inappropriately, if they would listen to what they just said and then how they followed it with praise the Lord. Now, it's good to praise the Lord, but we're not to be guilty of mindless repetition. God condemns mindless repetition, and he refers to it as vain and useless. So continually saying the phrase, praise the Lord, is not really a good representation of what praise is all about. And praise is not a means whereby we control God. It's not a lever whereby we make God do our bidding in an idolatrous role reversal. It's not a formula for getting what you want from God. Simply praising God for something you'd like to see happen doesn't mean God's obligated to make it happen. In pagan systems of belief, the gods, the deities, the spirits are often bound by incantations. If the believers say the right words, the gods must do their bidding. But the living God of the Bible is no one's puppet. And his ways are not subject to vain repetitions and incantations. So what is praise? Let me suggest the working definition. Praise is the activity, the activity of proclaiming God's attributes and actions. Proclaiming God's attributes and actions. Now praise can certainly be done privately. But interesting enough, most biblical references to praise located in 
the assembly of God's people and sometimes even before the nations, before unbelievers. Later in this series, we'll be looking at the seven Hebrew words that are translated by our one English word, praise. And those translations will illustrate what it means to proclaim God's attributes and actions. But as we begin this series, I want to remind you that there are five specific reasons why we are to praise God. And today, we're going to look at the most fundamental reason and the first in our series. God declares we're to praise Him. It's commanded. Say that word, commanded. Commanded. And when God issues a command to His people, no one, no one is exempt. When God states a command, no one within the body of Christ can say, well, Lord, I know I'm exempt because that's just not me. Lord, you know that's not who I am, so I know I'm exempt from that command. No, when God issues a command to his people, it's for all of his people. You see, our style of expression, our style of expression may vary, but failure to praise is sin. We will not all praise God identically. God doesn't seek uniformity. God seeks unity. But even though we will not all praise God in identical style and identical fashion, we must all actively, intentionally praise God because if we don't, it's sin. James said, once God has told you the right thing to do, if you fail to practice it, for you it has become a sin, what theologians call a sin of omission. God commanded this, but I've omitted it from my life. So styles vary, but praise is a command. Now all of us struggle to understand God. His ways are beyond our understanding. And all of us from time to time struggle to understand the commandments of God. And that's true in the area of praise. The great Christian writer and apologist C.S. Lewis candidly and humbly admitted that for many years he struggled with the passages of Scripture where God commands his people to praise him. Lewis said, all throughout Scripture, I found God condemning pride and calling for humility. And it seemed incomprehensible to me that the God who condemned pride and called for humility would command the universe to tell him how awesome he really is. He said, it made God, in my initial thinking, appear like an egotistical celebrity with an insatiable appetite for the spotlight. Look at me, look at me, notice me, tell me how wonderful I am. Lewis said, it seemed to be beneath God, and I couldn't get a hold of it. And because I couldn't get a hold of it, I struggled to practice it. But you know, if you grapple with God's truth long enough, eventually the Spirit of God 
will enable you to understand it. And you'll come to the age-old conclusion that God knows what he's doing and knows what he's talking about. And so Lewis eventually came to realize why God commanded praise. You see, God's commandments position us for blessing. God doesn't bless anything. God doesn't bless every place. God doesn't bless every practice. God doesn't bless every attitude. God doesn't bless every lifestyle. There are places and lifestyles and ways of thinking and acting that God blesses and others that he condemns and judges. And every commandment that says do this is God's way of saying there is where I pour out blessings. So that's where you want to be. And every negative commandment, refrain from this, is God saying, there is where you'll be disappointed and wounded and burnt and bruised. So stay out of there. So when God commands praise, he's positioning us for blessing. Isaiah 53, a well-known passage, informs us that like sheep, all of us have gone astray. We have this nasty habit of turning to our own way. We need a loving God to direct us away, away from the destructive paths of self-infatuation and self-worship and ungrounded self-confidence. And we need a God to point us towards the liberating truth. And both of those things, getting out of falsehood and into truth, require a recognition, the recognition of God's supremacy. The fear, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning point, the foundation for wisdom. You're not prepared to live an ordered and blessed life until you understand the supremacy of God. Now let me illustrate. I want you to imagine today that a woman with one child, a six-month-old baby, awakens in the middle of the night to find her home tragically engulfed in flames. She immediately knows that she and her six-month-old child are in danger of death. Now, the baby is in a room just down the hall. And the mother quickly realizes the adrenaline coursing through her veins that she probably only has a few seconds before the smoke overwhelms her and incapacitates her. And so she begins a hasty search and rescue. And after doing so, emerges from the house a few seconds later, clutching her jewelry collection. Not her six-month-old child, but her jewelry collection. Now, when that story would lead the evening news, be on the front page of the Post-Gazette, how do you expect the public would react. Would they applaud her bravery? Hardly. She would be censored. She would be condemned for choosing her jewelry over her child. And people would accuse her of failing to recognize that which had the supreme value. Your child was more valuable than your jewelry. 
get a clue. Now, when we choose the path of self-worship, self-importance, self-infatuation, self-will, rather than submission to God, we effectively mimic the woman in my fictitious story. We fail to recognize what is of supreme value and instead grasp and hold on to something of no enduring and eternal consequence. In God's gracious effort to save us from bad choices and a faulty orientation, God commands praise in order to teach us to value what is most valuable. Our lives aren't positioned for blessing until they're aligned under the supremacy of God. God has placed eternity in our hearts. Walter Brueggemann conveyed a bit of what that means when he said, and I quote, We have a resilient hunger to move beyond self, to return our energy and worth to the one from whom it's been granted, end quote. And praise helps us to effectively address that hunger in a lasting and deeply satisfying fashion. You see, if God didn't command us to praise him, God would be guilty of neglecting our best interests. He'd be guilty of allowing us to value something above him when nothing is above him, and in so doing, to introduce error and emptiness, idolatry, and ruin into our lives. And God won't stand by idly and watch us ruin ourselves because we're created in his image and we were created to be blessed by him and to know him. So God commands. And like everything God commands, praise is more for our benefit than God's because we become what we worship. I want you to say that with me. We become what we worship. Say it again. We become what we worship. If we fail to praise, God isn't diminished. We are. You see, God is God whether I praise him or not. If I don't praise God, he's not diminished. He doesn't cease to be God. He doesn't lose anything, but I lose everything. So the commandment isn't for an egotistical God. It's for a loving God who knows our lives won't work until we know what is of supreme value. You see, if you worship yourself, and the Bible says in the last days, men will worship themselves, their own ideas, their own wisdom, their own lusts, their own philosophies more than God. If you worship yourself, your future is no brighter than your abilities and capacities. 
But if you worship the living God, your future is as bright as all of the capacities and abilities and character of your Creator. Your future is as bright as His resources, not yours. Blessing flows out of knowing God. Praise assists me in knowing God by instructing my heart and mind, by shaping my perspectives, and by ordering my priorities. Praise helps us with all three of those things. It instructs our heart and mind about who God is, what God's capable of. It shapes my perspectives on power and authority and hope and truth, and it orders my priorities. I focus on the really important things, not the trivial things, not the unworthy things. So, if I fail to praise God, God will suffer no loss, but I will lose the blessing that is attached to that commandment and every commandment. By commanding praise, God pays us the highest compliment and offers us the greatest privilege. What is the compliment? The compliment is that we were created in the image of a living God, and He wants us to know Him intimately. And the privilege, the privilege is that we can live lives of true, spiritual, eternal, lasting abundance, lives that align with the grain of the universe so that we don't get splinters, and we can experience everything God intended for us despite this parenthesis we know as the fall and sin because what God commands, God enables. Klaus Westermann was a German scholar who learned to praise God in a rather unusual place. He learned to praise God while a prisoner of the Nazis in a concentration camp during the Second World War. And he concluded his book of praise in the Psalms with this thought, quote, There cannot be such a thing as true life without praise. True life without praise. So why does God command us to praise Him? Big ego? No, hardly. Remember, this is the same God who humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross. A big ego doesn't do that. A big heart does. No, God commands us to praise because that's the beginning point of wisdom. That's the beginning point of abundance. That's the beginning point of blessing. That's when you begin to align your ideas, your priorities, your perspectives, and your practices with the grain of the universe so that God can bless you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you do issue commands. You have every right to do so as our Creator. That's why many want to deny creation, because they intuitively know that if there's a Creator, that Creator has the right to issue commands, and they want to do their own thing. 
But we're thankful that there is a creator that you issue commands and that one of those commands is that we are to praise you intentionally, actively, continually, and that in so doing, we're positioning ourselves to know your blessing. Thank you for truth. Thank you for these directives. And help us in these weeks to understand and affirm, if not for the first time, then once again, the absolute necessity of a praising lifestyle for the people of God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.